kick off your boots and put down your hunting knife. It's time for the Outdoor Man Podcast with the man himself, Outdoor Man Dan. Join us for fun stories, useful how-tos, and insights into what being an outdoorsman means today and what it may mean in the future. From ethical hunting and conservation to new stories to tell around the fire. Let's get into today's show with your host, Outdoor Man Dan. Welcome to this week's episode. This week's episode is a special one. It is the Christmas one. Look, Christmas tree, Christmas t-shirt. I mean, nothing, nothing says more about Christmas Eve than Die Hard. And if you, say, if you say I'm wrong, then you're wrong. But no, this show is with Simon Whitehead. Now, Simon is just, just an audible guy when it comes to lurches and ferrets. But not only that, he has actually made a living out of being a warrener. Now the war on the job is very much a dying trade, unfortunately. Um, I wish it was still about because that is my ideal job. But there we go. So have a listen to what Simon's got to say. It's really interesting. He has a really interesting on take on it, whether you're for the hunting and just the conservation or vice versa. It's really worth worth putting listeners on and uh, getting amongst it. So cool. So without further ado, Merry Christmas. Have a good New Year. And uh, if you want to hear anything else in, in this next year coming, any topics, any people, topics, anything like that, get in touch and I will see if I can make that happen. So until next year, enjoy. Yeah, I'll you. Uh, right. Um, well, I grew up in the Um Dad worked for British Steel, so when British Steel went bang in the 80s, we moved to Lowestoft, 84 I think it was. I basically left school at 15 and went to work on a market garden in Parham, Hatchison actually, and Nobby Clark. And the passion for ferreting, I was always, when I was up north, I was always out and fucking about in the countryside and doing this and doing that. But it was didn't actually do any, but you always watched and read and, and interested in nature. And then when I moved down to Lowestoft, like, I just wanted to go ferreting. So I went ferreting um, there, and then I moved to a place near a home and went ferreting, like, oh, what was I, 16, 15, 16 at the, uh, microphone. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 15, 16, I'll leave it there. 15, 16 at the dairy farm, which is now the rifle range in Pakefield next to Pontins. Okay, yeah. Uh, and it sort of grew from there, really. And then, so I was into me ferreting and me dogs, so I had lurches. And then you were trying to fit in with, at the time, society. Because if you can imagine, in the middle of the 80s, there weren't many foreigners in low stuff. Yeah. So... They're still in. No. <laughs> they, they, there's a lot of this. They, uh, so, you went to work, I went to work then, worked for the print works in low stuff. And they couldn't understand a word I said. So literally, I started work there and they put a notebook and pen around my neck because they couldn't understand me. Um, and if they did that now, they, 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 you just, you, know, you can yeah. imagine the consequence of that. But they couldn't understand why you'd want to go out ferreting or running your dog and, and this and that. Um, but again, it's the 
obsessive nature of, of, of what you're passionate about, it's like you'd work one ferret and then the ferrets weren't, weren't the best and then they weren't handled the best and then you get better at that and then you get a better hutch and then you get more ferrets and then you're not happy with the nets but at this time there was no internet so you were like reliant on magazines and books or seeing people at game fairs um, and that brought like a beautiful naivety up to it because you just learnt from mistakes so our early fixed net long nets had dowling and bamboo canes and because we didn't really understand about where we could get, there was no carbon fibre poles then. So you were using like garden sticks and stuff because uh, we didn't know about hazel because nobody in the area dropped a traditional long net. And so you, then you let like, hazel stick it. So game changer. You, you just, but then, but then my whole philosophy on ferreting was born because being a thinker, you think, well, why bother putting all these purse nets down when I can just surround the net and have my dog in the middle? And then that basically transformed my ferret. And so at the beginnings when all we had was like homemade nets or the Brian Brinded system, um, you then started to get little stop nets through hedges and then you started to, to think and read a warren rather than just rock up and go ferreting because if you think about it north suffolk everybody's shot but nobody ferreted yeah a lot of people would come out and wanted to shoot the rabbits but i prefer to net them although i did shoot a, a great deal of rabbits with the guns because it was just like easier but depends where you are isn't the it? passion was with the, the the nets and the uh the dogs and you then sort of get better quality nets better nets better made nets and then you think about the ferrets and then you then work on a lot more hubs than you are gills and then they're getting them castrated because we're ferreting later. And then sort of, I got to a point in my middle 20s where you were rabbiting at the, when you could, you obviously you're buying a house, you're, you know, you're settling down, you've got to try and be responsible and, you know, earn money and, and everything else what people contend with. But, I had this burning passion to like just make me living from rabbiting and you know you say oh this is what I want to do and you look at other people doing you think well on the outside it looks rosy but looking back now it wasn't um but you think back then looking at them you think oh that'd be brilliant but you don't realize that's not really their job they've got other jobs that pay the money and then they just like portray what they're doing and then um, I went to work for a pest control company but at that time I started going on at the BFSS stands and promoting ferritin because when I was at game fairs I quickly found out that there was no promotion of ferritin and the people that did didn't ferret they were just like showmen yeah yeah um, racing ferrets on the tubes and the or going places. in the arena and saying they caught 10,000 yeah. rabbits a year and you know <laughs> yeah, they, they were yeah. fantastic where in reality all they wanted to do was sell ferrets and flog the books. So I started to do that and then I still quite fancied this rabbit and thing. And then I started doing a bit of writing because I'm not educated, but you know, I, I know my subject. 
So I started doing a few articles for the Countrymen's and I did a little book in the late 90s. I sat under a tree at Burley Horse Trials and wrote this book in three days and self-published that and just to try and get stuff out there. And then it was like the start of the internet and then you, you realise how you just lambasted, you know, the, the, the internet is a, it's like this massive seesawing of good and evil, you know. Uh, and then you think, well, is it really worth it? Is it? And then you think, yeah, of course it is. But I still fancy doing it. So I had, uh, looking at the people doing the demonstrations and uh, I was doing these static displays in my holidays, and then I had a huge fallout at work over money. Surprise, surprise, uh, where I was like suspended for like six months or something. Because <laughs> we played the system, because uh, I knew I wasn't going back. So it would give me time to set up what was in my company. So once people found out I was rabbiting full time, I had like some rabbiting work coming. Yeah. And once the show people found out I was going to do shows, instantly I got like 15 shows. Really? Um, so I then had to fathom out a demonstration. So my first ever demonstration I did was at Newmarket Races uh, for a Countryside Alliance fundraiser. But it just happened to be live on Channel 4 Racing. So if it wasn't bad enough going in on a ring for the first time ever, with all these little props I'd made out of paper mache and stuff, with a lurcher that just didn't want, want to know about toy rabbits, um, and it was live on TV, and, and I'll never forget Leslie Graham picking one of me ferrets up and half strangling it on a live interview, and you just <laughs> had to get, you. I had to get around it, which you do, and then sort of more writing come and books come, but me ferreting just sort of went off in its own direction. So when I was called into jobs around here in, in Suffolk and Norfolk and Essex, it, you know, you you suss the, the rabbits out. And my philosophy has always been, it's not so much about catching rabbits, it's about not letting rabbits go. And even at this day, a lot of people can't get their head around it, which is why the long nets were essential in, in how I ferreted. Because when you surround the hedgerows and dissect them, the worst that's going to happen is the rabbit's going to bounce off the net and go back under the ground. It's not gone anywhere. Whereas if you put purse nets everywhere, two rabbits come out, a rabbit's ran off. And then when you put a dog into the equation to put a bit of pressure on the rabbit, nine times out of ten, that's going to turn left instead of right, it's going to run into a net and not go back under the ground. A good dog will limit the amount that can go under the ground, but at the end of the day it can't be everywhere. So then you can mix and match it, you can put a few purse nets down if you want, or you can put more stops nets down. At the hedgerows, I just preferred stop nets because logistically it was easier. You know, you cut a few gaps and you completely surround the area, but it was all down to the long nets and quickly sussing out that with a little bit of extra work to begin with, you're not doing no more work until you're finished. So you, you turn up like 10 baskets and people go, oh, that's a bit overkill, but then you do, you know, 200 yard of hedge you're not doing no more netting that day, so you're just letting so the warrants settle, out, putting yeah. your ferrets in, and then you're looking at your ferrets and getting better ferrets and finding ferrets from around the country. And you know, I've, people have driven up to the top of the country to pick ferrets up for me, and I've, ferrets have gone everywhere. So over the years, the ferrets have been refined 
to have a very high prayer drive and um, you look at them differently. So instead of having little cages, you have big runs and then instead of having one ferret, you'll have teams. So in the hutches, you'll have like five or six together. So when you put them in boxes and work them together, there's going to be no squabbles uh, neutered so they don't come into season. But then you have some studs and some, you know, some gels you're going to... And everything is, is result-based. And then your reputation grows. So like I did no advertising, you know, the... You know, if there's a rabbit problem, they just bring a farmer up and you oh, well, we know him. And he can, and that's how I got Rick's, is, you know, they, somebody 60 miles away, his son went on works experience in a farm down here. So when they had rabbits, they go, oh, we'll just ring Chippy up and see if he knows anybody. And then that's how I ended up working in Essex. So it's it was a fantastic, wasn't very financially viable. Yeah, you made a living, but without the shows, you couldn't make the living rabbit in because mm. uh, the farmers around here just weren't going to pay a great deal. And it wasn't until you worked for like the forestry commissions or or the construction people did you then bump your money up, and and then it just progressed from there to to then when the shows really kicked off for me, and you know, and you're getting more known around the country. You've then got a battle, um, not so much the antis, <clears throat> but the trouble within. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, over the years, you know, I've had, I don't know, dozens of death threats and this and that going on and mail checked and, and all sorts of stuff associated with what I do. But that's not half the hash you get from people within the rabbit and world because they always want... And I have this saying, they always want to do what I do till they have to do what I do. So mentally that sort of plays heavily on you because you know what it's like, you know, you just want to, you think you can please everybody, but in reality now you know you're not going to please everybody. So the, um, you're going through, progressing with the shows and I'd, I'd work out what shows I want and, you know, you've got to run a business, that is a business, you run that. So you get to a point where you're doing all the shows, all the big game fairs, all the shows. You've got a nice little rabbit and round. But then you've almost like reinventing yourself because if you keep still and complacent and stable in what you're doing, after a few years, you know, it's just like you become irrelevant. So it must have been 2007 or eight when really we were getting a lot of media interest about rabbits as food because up until then nobody really wanted to know about cooking rabbit you know it was seen as vermin by the associations and organizations and that kick-started me into filming and doing uh, i did a field to fork about preparing and cooking rabbit and then we did a few uh, i knew people that did the cookery demos and i was always like in the shadows and then a few years later, I come out of the shadows. And even to this day, people sort of gaslight you and thinking you're not as good as them. Whereas in reality, my experiences from the past like five years is, you know, these chefs you see and these people, these influencers, they, in reality, they don't know nothing, you know. Um, and it was, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just been a massive learning curve but it's it's 
drawing inspirations from outside my world. So like for the for the ferritin, it's it's to me it's about your mindset and this is where the fitness comes in now because with being in the hills and taking people out or working, you know, we, we're working on now working for other companies all over the country. They um you've got to be on the ball and make the decisions and you know, if you're not high, well, you must know, you're not hydrated and you're not fed well, come one o'clock, you're getting sloppy tired and you don't want to be there. Well, when you've got to do a physical thing like ferritin uh, and when you're clearing rabbits, it's not jovial ferritin. And this is the difference between industrial ferritin for pest control and ferritin for fun. Um, you've, you've got to almost take it personal and get every rabbit. You're not going to get every rabbit, but you've got to go in there, believe, and you can get every rabbit. They're for a job to do at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that is outlined by how you set things out and how you uh, perform. And that's all that, again, we just all come, come, coming back to these long nets. Yeah. You know, without these long nets, you know, we wouldn't be able to do, but on the flip side, now the long net's that popular, anybody can do what we used to do because back then, they didn't have the equipment and they didn't have the knowledge. Whereas now, everybody can get the equipment and just go on YouTube or, you know, message somebody and they can instantly, because it's not a rocket science to lay a long net. You know, <laughs> no. you, you just could have walk and put a peg in the ground. Yeah, you're going to catch something, aren't you? Yeah, the mystique has been taken completely away from it. Um, but that's evolution. So yeah. the um, nowadays, it's, it's just all about enjoyment. You know, I'm... I'm at a stage now where I can look back and talk about, and this is why I've changed stance on my book, because you can look back and think, you know, what a cock you were back then. You know, you, you, you and it, I see it in people coming up now, you know, you, everybody when they're younger thinks they know it all, and they look at the older people thinking you know nothing. And then when you get to the, be that older person, you look back at the youngsters thinking, well, you're just peacocking around, but you don't really know nothing. And it's it's still the same today, but it is it is different today than it was. I had that with Dad. Dad, when I was <coughs> learning to be a keeper, Dad was like, "You just stand still all of a sudden and walk around traps." Because Dad used to be old school, mm. and we stood around for, "Well, you might hear something, might you, boy? Come on, let's fucking get on!" And off we'd go. And it weren't till really only a few years ago, where that penny dropped with me. Mm. Ah, if I stand still here long enough. Instead of me chasing that fox across that field, that's probably going to come to me. Mm. Or I might just hear that fox, or, you know, or and, and that's when, like you said, you know, young and naive, you know, you know it all. It is, and this is why a lot of people got onto me about changing tact on, on, me, on me book uh, for several factors, because life has changed, and, and there's no secret, there's not the rabbits there. So commercial rabbit clearing isn't even have gone. Ferritin is getting stronger and stronger because people are now coming back into it. They want it for the food. They want it for the you know stress relief enjoyment. And to be fair, when you're ferreting with a dog, it's possibly the best sport in the world. When it's all going right. When it's all when, you know, when, when, <laughs> when everything's right. You know, depending where you are, it could be the you know best thing yeah. in the world. And you look back, and you know. You can now read Warrens, and you, you, you're right. You have the experience, and you just get these gut reactions and intuitions, and you learn from your mistakes. And and you know, 
to a lot of people a ferret's a ferret but you can tell by their demeanor and how they work a war and uh what's going on and a dog there's a lot of um myth and folklore and all wise tales about dogs um but Pete, i think a lot of people now just want to put in plain and simple black and white you know there's a lot of people coming into ferret i mean my phone it's like ferret hotline yeah. you know people have been messaging me and ringing me up all day and night asking the most basic of questions um and it's it's a bit of a cry and shame because when we were growing up we didn't have the internet and they had telegrams and post boxes and we learned from mistakes but at least it's stuck yeah. whereas now i feel you know a lot of people have too much information because not all information is right information yeah. So, what I'm 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 going to get ready is <clears throat> a guide. Uh, I'm not sure what it'll be called. Basically, going to be a guide to ferreting, and then it's aimed at the beginners or the returners, and everybody else if they're broad-minded enough to read between the lines. Yeah. So when you read the narrative, it's not going to be put out in black and white, but you will know what's going on. Uh, because we're now ferreting in the summer a lot more. Uh, things are changing. Um, we're now used, a lot more people are using dogs. Um, and then in a few years, I dare say, a different, the purse nets will come back into vogue and then the long nets will come back into vogue. Yeah. The same as things, same as shooting, isn't it? One year it's a side by side, then it's the yeah. other over. And then, and then you've got your ferreting with birds of prey, which I love. Uh, shooting over ferrets, ferreting with dogs, ferreting with nets, you know, ferreting near roads. You know, how do you how do you work a sandy warren? How, how do you work a PT warren? And, and I just think if I can get all this mumbo jumbo down in a book, and then match them with Craig's pictures, which I've got, I think that'll be like a nice little, almost like a coffee table book. So there's loads of pretty pictures, which everybody wants in books. Yeah. They want good action pictures. And then they, they want the words in between. And then at the end, there's going to be like a, a big butchery, um, storage, preparation, cooking guide. Because I was originally going to redo uh, the cookbook, but I'm now putting that back until the, until the autumn to finish that off. Because I want to test all the 50 recipes myself. So, and that's gonna take- you're putting in at 50. 50 recipes. Um, You'll be sick of rabbit by the time you finish. Right? Yeah, but I've got some friends gonna test some recipes. Yeah. You can't just test it yourself because your taste buds are the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna test the ones I like. So the ones without bones in, I'll probably test. <laughs> and then, the uh, you know, I've got friends that are really good cooks, so they'll do the, like, the bit more difficult ones. Yeah. Butchering a rabbit ain't hard. You know, there's only so many ways you can butcher it. Yeah. You know, there's no point having 360 pages on how to butcher a rabbit because yeah. it's 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 basically the you know the simplest thing in the world once you've done a, a, a few. Uh, but that is the saviour of ferreting in a way because if there's one thing I've learned over the years is when you answer people's moral dilemma about taking an animal's life by showing that you're putting it in for food, then you sort of pacified um, their interests. And doing what I do in the summer and the shows and the media work I do, um, 
you realise that we've got this big snowball going down the hill and we're never going to stop it. Uh, we just we can just steer it into a safe area. And by promoting like, all gamers, mate, but especially rabbits, and I'm amazed the fitness world ain't cottoned onto rabbit. I'm doing a talk with a, um, a company actually about this. And and the uh, it's it's a way of I'm not I wouldn't say it, making them under because I've when I was younger, you know what it's like. You're always wanted to make people want to go ferreting and like yeah. ferreting. Well, I can't give a fuck because. As long as you give them the facts, just let them make their own mind up. Yeah, exactly. And then I think they they act and react differently to you. So, you know, it, you know, you, you so you, you do your demos or you talk to people or you do one of your talks, and you know you can put the facts to them, and they still might say, "Well, I don't agree with it." Fair enough, you don't agree yeah. with it. At least you're educated, don't you? You're educated because the um, the threat isn't going to go away. And, it's and, going to get worse. Not and with the way and the power of the image and social media is, I just think we've just got to continue in, in changing how we portray it. Yeah. Um, and that comes with the writing as well. You know, there's certain words you don't use. Yeah. Certain words you do use, you don't use. You know, you, the way you explain it. And I just think we've got to think about the bigger picture. Yeah. yeah. And, we, and we all have. And that's something that I've been trying to push, and you've probably heard quite dramatically through the podcast, is the fact that... You know, if we don't start educating people on why this needs to be happening, it's all going to go. Yeah, it's yeah. simple. And and, and I'm, I'm amazed because, I mean, venison, there's that much venison running around the country. Um, why people don't utilise it more? I mean, why, why, why does, you know, I know you've got great people like Mike Robinson getting in the papers and doing his programmes and through, through education and everything else, uh, trying to get people to to realise that, you know, we've, we have got this problem with venison, uh, with deer. Uh, but why don't people utilise venison more? Uh, why, why is it we're still buying New Zealand venison in, in the supermarkets when everywhere there's... More than enough in the country. You know, so it's, it's all about education now. Yeah, no, and I, I agree. And that's, well, let's say the reason I started the podcast, you know, my two little girls... I, don't, I, I said that, I don't know if you heard me say it on the last, at the end of my latest podcast, but I don't care what my girls do, as long as they're happy. Yeah. But if they want to be an act, animal activist, they're going to understand why we're doing it. Yeah, yeah. And that's all it I is. I think that's important, because when my daughter Grace was growing up, she probably saw more dead rabbits um, than anybody, but she's a little pink princess and just likes her horses. And everybody assumes that you'll take them out, but... She's been out ferreting a few times with her friends, mm, yeah. but there's not. I mean, you're not going to force it on anybody, no. um, because there's nothing worse than imposing your will on on, on somebody else. And I remember what it's, what it's like when people try and impose their will on you when you're trying to do things. Yeah. Um, and it's you know we just, we just got to we just got to be different and think different. Yeah, no, definitely. No, I am. Um... I remember, remember Dad saying to me, yeah, when I was ever saying, oh, do you come shoot some pigeons? I'm like, boy, not really. I oh, can't be fun. Mm, yeah, not really. wasn't yeah. interested at all. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got into my teens where it sort of flipped back and then... Mm. Uh, I also I think thought, the... Um, on, like, putting our point across is... 
I th- also think we're we're also getting better at not being that stereotypical image of what you do, yeah. um, and I've noticed that amongst amongst the media now, they, they, there's a lot less of the starchiness, yeah, and the bringing more because I mean there's still not enough out there about women that do things, children that do things. Um, there's still not enough about what good people are doing with game, you know, and how it's benefiting people. Uh, and I just think with the demise, I mean, speaking personally, with with the demise of the rabbit as it is, and, you know, you're almost trying to conserve a, um, a craft. Uh, if you don't get the education right, then there's going to come a point where that decision will be made for us about the rabbits. So, like, if the rabbits get really low, would somebody in the government say, well, you can't do it? Yeah. You know, and this is what I don't want. That's what's going to happen with deer, but it's the other way. I still think, you know, we'll be putting rabbits back, but apart from a few strongholds, you know, the, the numbers are down. The conservation people are now spitting the dummies out because they've just realised that they are so low. Uh, but what I don't want to see is, is, you know, you're waking up one morning and then somebody from natural England has made a decision to put the rabbits on a list. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it'd be a sad day. Because everybody, I mean, even the farmers, any people you work for, you know, they hate the rabbits, but they never want to see the rab- last rabbit go. And I know what it was like from filming. You know, you spend more time filming rabbits and looking at rabbits and understanding about their behaviour purely from a, you know, I want to know about them so you can control them better. But then part of me thinks, well, if you're putting them back, why don't they get in touch with people that remove them to protect them going back full circle to the old warreners? But they never will because, you know, they're letting their, their own thoughts blinker you know, the good of an animal. So yeah. I hope, you know, I hope the rabbit is going to make a, a comeback. That's the one thing I've always said. And it comes with warrens. I never I hadn't actually looked at that through them glasses, but the people who can produce animals in, in the country is like gamekeepers. Mm. You know, fantastic at producing wildlife. Mm. And people don't see, ever see that. No. Well, they're not called gamekeepers now. They've got no, land managers. Well, yeah, land managers. That's what they are. Um, but it, it's, it's, you know, and it's like... I don't think people realise how much of a, a struggle some of these rabbits have. You know, simple things like the construction industry. You know, you've got roads and parks. I mean, I, I ferreted for the A14 relief road at Bar Hill. Uh, Bar Hill, you, oh, we've never seen rabbits like it. But as soon as that road went through, they all disappeared. And it's the same everywhere else. The ditches are getting digged out. The roads are going in. It's all pressure and stress on the rabbit, and they're just not going to cope with it. They're not in, and the two-way rabbits aren't anymore where they used to be a lot of us in the railway on the side of the railway lines. No. You don't see them like they used no. to along there. No. Like we were talking about Manningtree earlier on. I remember driving, going to the bridge where the where the station is there, yeah. and then if you looked to your right or your left, actually, we go to them grass fields. That was always heaving the rabbits. Yeah. Not a lot. VHD went through Manningtree four or five years ago. Because I used to know a few lads that, that ferreted and shot down there. And 
once it's been through, it's been through. It's like yeah. it's just like just wiped it out. And it's a bit it's a bit sad to see, really, but that's life. I'm afraid we we you know life now isn't what it was in the in the middle of the eighties. Yeah, I, and part of me wishes it was, but then again, you know. It is changing. It is changing on, on all, all ways. Uh, one thing that's always struck me, I remember going to a um, like a farm walk years ago around um, uh, Neutzer's farm at um, Marham. Um, and the keeper who was there, he's not there now, um, he was said, yeah, I just hit him hard here, hit everything hard here and it comes back harder. And that phrase has always sort of stuck with me. Mm. And... When I first started over at Ardley, I hit everything hard. And I think that's a little bit of truth in it. I've had rabbits come back in places. Mm. I'm not saying that's the answer to everything, but I think a bit of a shake-up now and again... Void and vacuum. Isn't if a bad you, thing at all. If, if, if you create a, vacu- a void and you've got a reservoir, it will always fill it in. And, and you're right. problem is, when you don't have a reservoir... Yeah. Then you know you're doing, and, and this is this is the age-old argument between doing a job and doing it for fun. I mean, now I'm I'm not as hard on the on the. Don't get me wrong. If I'm paid to do a job, and I've recently been up Scotland to do a few jobs in islands and stuff, we've hit them hard. I've told Charlie he, 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 we're going in the car to Jonas Theatre, and he's sort of sorting all that out. Uh, I want to get it out because. It's been 11 years since the last ferreting book. Now, I brought the last ferreting book out 11 years ago. Um, when I look back on it, I know absolutely fuck all about it, really, in the grand terms of what I know now. Because, like what we were talking about, experience. You think you know it all then, but you're just a bit <laughs> of a cock. And then you realise that, and then you just sort of grow into your skin. And and so I'm going to get the book out. Um, it won't take me long to finish it off. I so said the pictures are there, just got to get it laid out and printed and stuff. And then volume two will be the cookbook, which will be um, done properly. I just, I, everything's got to be, recipe-wise, everything's got to be tested. Yeah. Um, because there's, yeah... I like to do things right, so I'll test the recipes. Cool beans. Thank you very much. So, yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Outdoor Man Podcast. We're glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Find us on Twitter at Podcast Outdoor, on Instagram, Outdoor underscore Man underscore Podcast, on Facebook, Outdoor Man Podcast, and you can even reach us by email, dan at outdoorman.uk. Let us know your outdoor questions, and be sure to tag us when you're outside living your best life. Until next time, be the example.